How's it going, everyone? And welcome back to another episode of Buddy's House of Horror Podcast. I've got another interview for you guys this week, and it's with my good friend Bradley from the Shacks Loop Podcast. Originally, I was going to be saving this interview for a larger series that I'm going to be doing, but the conversation was just so fun, I couldn't wait to get it out there for you guys. And plus, I'm going to be doing more discussions with Bradley as the month goes on, so I kind of wanted to introduce him right away if he's going to be sort of a recurring character on the show. Just a couple more quick announcements before we dive right into the interview. I want to remind you guys, if you haven't already, please make sure you subscribe to my channel and turn on notifications over on YouTube. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, make sure you're subscribing to the show and leaving a rating and a review if it lets you do that. And yeah, just help spread the good word about the House of Horror podcast and help spread the good word about the Shacks Loop podcast. And now, without further ado, enjoy my interview with Bradley from the Shacks Loop. Let's get spooky. So I noticed you just had good friend of mine and mentor to me, Mark Dewiziak, on your podcast recently. Um, what sort of was that experience like getting him on the show and getting to know him a little bit? Yeah, I actually met Mark, I guess, through this whole uh, Robert knew him first, my co-host. And uh, I mean, that, that it was really a fun process. Mark's, we ended up recording for over three hours and we I think we started at like 11. So uh i'm central time so i was like at one o'clock in the morning whenever we ended or past one o'clock they were like two o'clock so it was uh it was a pretty long session but it was fun like it was one of those things where you keep asking questions because you just want to just gain from this wealth of knowledge that he has you know uh yeah wanted to end yeah he's kind of like a cornucopia of knowledge and he has a very like very eclectic resume. He has a lot of different things that he's worked on over the years. Obviously, vampires, um, Kolchak stuff, um, all kinds of great things. Um, so, yeah, the, it was very fun um, having him on the show, I would imagine. Oh, yeah, it was uh, it was a blast. And we plan on having him on a couple future episodes uh, just to gain from his knowledge. Because he even, uh, of course, I'm sure you know this, and but for those who don't, because he pretty much wrote the book on Kolchak. Uh, he's regarded in the community he wrote the book night stalking which many people look for uh i think i paid like 60 bucks for my copy uh but some people pay more than that for it but i mean it's a great read and it's out of print so what are you gonna do yeah um and i know you guys talked about this on your show but it is coming up on the 50th anniversary um here and i guess from the time this podcast comes out it'll be in a few months when the Mm -hmm. 50th anniversary is coming out um so i gotta ask you um because you're a pretty young guy i mean you're about my age um why kolshak how kolshak how did you even hear about kolshak how did you get involved in all this kind of stuff um so it was one of those situations where i danced around the subject and i never got on kolshak but i was there i love dark shadows which was a, a dan curtis production and he did the first uh night stalker movie and I've, I've always been a huge fan of the twilight zone which there's a lot of crossover especially in that you know they call it like the golden era golden age of television the 40s 50s like the very first um thing there and the twilight zone was sort of at the end of that but a lot of the actors just sort of persisted throughout i mean as you know uh so there's people who were in twilight zone who were in you know uh call shack just extras even you know actors that it, it was there and you know uh was it robert matheson wrote uh 
or is it Richard Matheson? Richard Matheson. Yeah. I always, I always do that. Um, it was Richard Matheson. You know, he wrote some of the twilight zone episodes, some of the most beloved ones. And he worked on, you know, Kolchak as well. And it's sort of like, I didn't know about it. It was, but then Robert came to me. He was like, you know, you know so much, do you know about this show? And I was like, no, I'll check it out. And so the dynamic of it is sort of, I, I come in fresh. I don't really watch the only thing I've only, I've seen a couple of episodes now from what we've recorded and stuff, but I'd come in pretty much not knowing anything. And then he knows everything. Cause he's like, a you know, he's, he's love grew up on it, but I, I just come in not knowing anything. So I guess it's like a different perspective on the show. And that's part of the reason why I'm really excited about your show. And I'm really excited to have you on my show. Um, right now because like I like our age group like no one has heard about this um so yeah it's sort of like people I don't know if it's missed the boat but like I don't know how to describe it it's sort of like a hidden gem I guess yeah um and I think there, there's shows like the twilight zone and you know and that's one thing what what makes the twilight zone uh persist whereas Kolshak doesn't uh and you know the twilight zone had more seasons and I think Rod Serling is like this cult of personality that a lot of people uh, idolize. And even Night Gallery doesn't get the recognition that I think that not, the Twilight Zone does. Uh, but of course, Kolshak was only one season, but it influenced a lot of things like X-Files, uh, other shows. So I don't, I don't know. It influenced a lot of the genre. So who, who knows? I, I really don't know. Yeah. And that's part of the reason. I mean, I, it will it's not out currently as we're recording this but i'm sort of doing something on my show um where it's going to be called night stalker sundays um which you're going to be a part of this is going to be part of the series um where basically because like i said like people from our generation have never heard of it um until getting to know mark a little bit i had never heard of it um i was in his vampire course um when i was in school and you know i kind of i kind of went in with i don't know i was like all right, there's not going to be anything in this class that I've never heard of before, basically. Like, even if I hadn't seen something, like, I was like, all right, I'm familiar with Dark Shadows. I'm familiar with this and that. And then he sort of pulled this out of nowhere, and I was just like, whoa. And I was, like, really surprised, not only the quality of it, but the fact that it's sort of lost to history um, with people our age. Because, I mean, as you said, people our age, they're at least familiar with the Twilight Zone. Um, they know about the X-Files, but Kolshak, the Night Stalker, it's kind of like this underground thing at the moment. Yeah, and there's like few shows. I mean, there's probably a lot of shows like that, but even uh, you may have heard of it, Tales from the Dark Side. It was an oh, 80s yeah. thing, but that's sort of lost, man. And that's like a George, the very first episode that George A. Romero did. Phenomenal, man. One of my favorite, that's one of my favorite series of all time. Uh, and so I, we'll get into it here, I guess my background you used to work at a movie theater correct i did back in the day i not only worked at a movie theater i worked at a movie theater in high school um and that sort of carried through into my early college years um because i'd come back on the weekends and all that kind of stuff and work the big releases but then i also worked at a video store as well that's what i was um, gonna say yeah yeah <laughs> um so that because was another experience that's like a lost thing man is work yeah th and that's what i was gonna say working at a video store I worked at a, a vintage game store called replays. I was the manager there, worked there for, for years, uh, but we sold a lot of DVDs and stuff, but we had, I think 44,000 DVDs, man, just, and, and it was like, 
Blu-ray. I mean, this is a few years ago. We, we closed a couple years ago uh, before the pandemic. Uh, and so this is like sort of a situation where DVDs are out and, you know, Blu-rays, we, we have a few Blu-rays, but we really don't have any of them, you know, nowhere close to the number of DVDs we have. So DVDs are slow movers, but we have selling for like two or $3 a piece. So we, we have them and I'll, and on slow days, I just go and I'd look and I'd look at the, the DVDs. I'd say, Hey, you know, this looks pretty cool. And my boss was a uh, knowledge, super knowledgeable about this stuff. So he would find videos and say, here's what you need to watch or something. And he'd pretty much be, I'd be like, you know, he'd say, give me 30 cents for, for DVD, you know, what we paid costs for it. And you can take it home. And I would watch these movies, you know, that I'd never heard of, you know, um, and some of them would be like the compilations of just a bunch of movies. I'm like, you know, because, and I think me and you have, are the, are sort of the same generation. The very first sort of introduction to horror I had as far as horror movies. I mean, when I was a kid, I remember watching, I don't think I ever don't remember a time that I've, where I didn't remember the twilight zone. That was just something that I grew up with. Um, and then I remember, uh, the tales from the crypt episode stuck in my mind was the Kyle McLaughlin of uh, twin peaks fame. And also I'm a huge doors fan. He was in the doors movie played Raymond Zarek. He was in an episode where he uh, falls off the, a cliff and breaks his neck and gets eaten by a vulture in the vulture oh, yeah. Texas. And that, that terrified me. I don't know. And my mom to this day, she's like, I did not let you watch that. I don't know where you saw it. I said, mom, I was in the living room. I was like four. I remember seeing this said, I wouldn't have let you watch that. I said, yeah. Yeah, you did. But, you know, that's it's all in good fun now. But the the real horror, I guess, consistently was wrestling, man, because the Undertaker and, and all these Kane ripping the sale off of the uh, in 1997, you know, it, it was nuts. And I remember seeing this as a kid thinking, man, this is real life. This is this is, you know, it didn't get any more real than that to me. Yeah, I mean, back in the 90s, I mean, you had like Papa Shango, you got yes, Undertaker, yeah. Kane, um, you had the brood. There was all kinds of horror stuff going all over the place. And I mean, that was a big period for television as well. Like, as you said, um, I mean, like Angel and Buffy are going on around this time. Um, and that's sort of how our generation sort of came in to grips with the spooky stuff. Like, yeah, I agree. I remember the Undertaker back in the day and stuff. I'm still a wrestling fan to this day. Not as much as I was. Yeah. Um, but you know, and then I think the biggest thing, and I don't know if you experienced this with the Twilight Zone as well, um, but I remember going over my grandparents' house all the time, and I think it was like 4th of July and New Year's Eve. It was the whole like 24-hour, 48-hour like marathon of all Twilight Zones. I don't remember the July 4th marathon as much, but I definitely remember the uh, New Year's Day. All, I remember watching that uh, religiously. Uh, anytime I could find time to be there and watch it. But it was my mom who I watched it with, really, not my grandparents, because I guess she discovered that herself. My parents, uh, she's always been a huge fan of horror. My dad, no, my dad does not do horror. <laughs> my parents' first date was to see Child's Play. And uh, so, and he, and he, he didn't want to go, but he went for her, I guess. Uh, but he, it's hard to get him to go see any horror movie. He's, I, and I don't know if he's, just don't like it or what but he he's uh very abhorrent of it he don't like it but my but my mom was always huge and i remember growing up um you know seeing that uh i think the first sort of horrorish movie i saw was um but that wasn't a television show uh had to be like the mothman prophecies i think that that was one that uh you know rich Haddam wrote the uh screenplay for it uh 
and I remember watching that and it was like borderline. And then I remember watching Halloween, all the Halloweens. I remember that was real big when I was growing up. Like I remember watching Halloween and uh, even like H2O. I remember H2O. <laughs> and I think, man, why, why does these masks look so weird? I remember that, that's one of the memories I have is like some of the weird mask choices they had. But I remember all those. Uh, and then I remember like in fourth, fifth or sixth grade, uh, I had a friend and I was going over to his house and he said, Hey, you know, all these, everything I ever saw though, was like the made for TV versions with commercials. And he said, you know, you can come over and we'll watch something. And we watched the first nightmare. And I was like, this is nuts, you know? Um, but yeah, so nightmare on Elm street, I'd never seen anything like that. This was like a new experience for me. Uh, you know, and I got to see all the gore that wasn't cut out and all the scenes that weren't cut out. Um, and, and, you know, that was just something I never saw. Um, were you part of like, cause I, cause I think you're like a year or two younger than me, but like, were you part of like, um, did you ever watch like Cartoon Network or anything like Courage the Cowardly Dog? I know it was yes. like a big influence on me. Um, I see your Nintendo 64 shirt that you're wearing right now. Um, and I know you're a big gamer. Um, you said you're modding your GameCube and stuff. Um, but Majora's Mask was like a huge like horror influence for me. I mean, you see like the moon coming down and just that whole game is just like it's just surrounded by dread, I guess. And I just really love like the vibes of it. Um, yeah. Um, and I think this is another discussion. I think you you're probably in the same boat. The very first YouTube channels I remember was uh, I remember watching um, Game Theorist and he did an amazing video on it. And when I was a kid, I don't think I understood Majora's Mask. This is probably middle school when I saw this. But then one of the other big channels was Cinemassacre. I love Cinemassacre. And I, I'm familiar with game theory as well, yeah. But Cinemassacre was like one of those things where I wasn't, like I would watch movies, like, oh, wow, this is a good horror movie. And then he would like introduce movies I'd never heard of, you know, Cabinet of Dr. Caligari. Uh, and I'm like, what? what is these films? And I, I didn't understand like, there's films in the twenties and the thirties. Yeah. It, it was like just this, of course I thought, I remember the universal horror monsters, but it was like something I just had no uh, memory of, but yeah, video games and horror go hand in hand. Uh, I remember the, one of the first video games ever rented uh, that was horror based. I'm, I had to get my dad to rent it. I was five. So dad rent resident evil. I think it was two for the N64 and he, or it might've been the first one. He's like, yeah, he's like, okay, I'll get it for you. And I played like five minutes of it turned it off didn't, oh, didn't yeah. play it the rest of the weekend and that terrified me for a long time was that game have you played the new one um i haven't yet uh but i've said I've, i'm really behind on like new games uh I, you know i still got my xbox one and I, I mostly use it just to watch youtube videos and stuff but i'll play a little bit of uh i'll play a little bit here and there like i like dead by daylight uh Another weird thing, I, I love Fortnite, man. Uh, I didn't play a past few seasons, but they're doing like an alien invasion one now. Uh, I'm sure they're on something else by the time this comes out, but it looks cool. You can drive UFOs and stuff. So, oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I that's, love, yeah. I love yeah, I've it. never played Fortnite, but I hear it's yeah, it's the big thing. Um, what were some of the other things you were into, um, sort of to get your horror influences as a child? I mean, I see like figures behind you of Slimer and all kinds of cool stuff. What were some other things that really sparked your horror interests? Yeah. Um, so Ghostbusters was, I love Ghostbusters, which is sort of, it's more comedic, I guess. Uh, but I mean, it has horror elements and I think that's, and, but Scooby-Doo, I remember, especially as a kid, that was always the original Scooby-Doo. 
uh, even 13 Ghosts of Scooby-Doo with Vincent Price. That was how I knew Vincent Price until I saw the movies. You know, I didn't really thought, oh, this is the guy from Scooby-Doo, you know. That was how I knew Vincent Price. Right, yeah. Anything else for me. <laughs> um, but, yeah, mostly those cartoons uh, that I remember specifically. Uh, and even, you know, like you said, Courage Coward, Cowardly Dog, which is, I mean, that show is, I went back and watched that recently. Uh, it's still super sort of scary in a way, you know. Uh, are you afraid of the dark that was a great one it was sort of like the the kids version of like a twilight zone meets like i don't know uh tales from the dark side or something like that where it was really creepy stuff uh, i remember watching that as a kid as well and goosebumps who could forget goosebumps i remember getting the the box set at the uh at the book the classics book fair that was always the best thing and also scary stories telling the dark i remember getting the three pack of those with a book lot and I went home at like four o'clock in the afternoon. I turned the lights out, you know, shut the blinds. And I remember getting on the cover and reading those with a book lot. See, the thing I remember the most about scary stories to tell in the dark is the artwork. Yes. Um, I remember the stories like as a kid, like I would never really read the stories, but I would just like stare at the artwork for like hours and get myself like scared out of my mind, basically. I'm um, like, even to this day and like, even in, I don't know if you've seen the new film, but they bring some of those monsters yeah. to life. Um, but that artwork is just iconic. Yeah, and uh, I think the the person who does the 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 uh, scarecrow, uh, Mark's uh, Mark Steger, he does the um, the Demogorgon for Stranger Things. Uh, what was that art horror movie a couple years ago on Netflix? Um, I forgot what it was called. There's like an, it was like a, it takes place in like an art house and these people are dying and there's this statue sort of, I forgot what it was called, but it was yeah, a good I'm one. I'm not too. sure. Yeah. But it was a good one. Uh, but he was in that too. But yeah, the movie did a really phenomenal job, I thought, of capturing sort of what the book had. Yeah. Um, and yeah, you're obviously, you have a lot of knowledge about various different horror subjects. Um, and we'll get into a few of them today. Um, but one of my favorite films and one of your favorite films, um, I think you're on the record saying this, um, but Night of the Living Dead. Um, what can you tell me about what that film means to you, um, like your first experiences with it? Um, and we'll just sort of take it from there. But what can you tell me about Night of the Living Dead? Yeah, and you, this is my favorite horror film of all time. I love it. Um, and it's sort of like, is one of those things where you sort of watch a movie and it changes your perspective about things, you know, like it, it may give you a whole new understanding of what something could be. Cause the slasher films were, I saw those, I believe before I saw not living dead. So, I mean, it's not like these things are like, it's, it, it stands on its own as like a genre creating sort of thing. There wasn't really, I mean, what white zombie was before that. Uh, but their true zombie, I think was created not a living dead. And I'm sure there would be many people who, uh, agree there but even like not a living dead dawn of the dead i mean all those are amazing films and i remember also he was in a video game uh he was in one of the zombie deals dlc packs and you could play as george you know right george, george romero <laughs> that was always fun yeah not a living dead is just one of those movies where i've, I've sort of immersed myself in 60s culture as well like I've, i used to grow up loving the twilight zone I, you know love like 60s bands the doors jimmy hendrix uh, the beatles and stuff like that and it was just sort of I watched that and it it sort of clicked with me. I don't know, sort of understanding the culture and what was going on at the time. Uh, I was a history major in college. So it just sort of was like a, uh, even with the lead character being, you know, African-American, it all clicked with me. And it sort of gave me a new understanding of the decade and, and also of horror, I think. 
Right. And something with George A. Romero's films, um, there's always a lot of social commentary going on. Yes. And I think that like, and like I watch Night of the Living Dead like once a year, um, at least. Um, and I feel like some of the messages like in Night of the Living Dead are just as relevant today, if not even more relevant in some aspects. Um, and just all of his, I mean, the man was like a complete visionary. Um, I've done a deep dive into Night of the Living Dead uh, on the show before. Um, and yeah, it's, it's an amazing film. Yeah. Um, and even James Rolfe did that, uh, that watch along, uh, which, which sent it was for Monster Madness one year, I believe. Yeah, they did a full commentary because it's public domain. Yeah. Yeah. And even that was really good. Um, but yeah, it's one of those ones that if you watch it every year. I mean, you it won't ever get old. Have you ever had the opportunity to see it at a drive-in or have you ever been to a drive-in? I've been to drive-ins, man. And uh, I know during the pandemic, they made a comeback, but there there's not many. Uh, are you from Ohio or do you live around Ohio? Yes, I'm from the Cleveland area. Yeah. So. I live in Alabama, sort of south of Huntsville, and Huntsville's sort of our biggest city, but we don't really have many. I think there's one in Florence, but that's like a three or four hour drive for me. Oh, um, okay. Probably probably two, two or three hour drive for me. So it's it's like borderline, like if, if I wanted to go see it, like it's sort of a drive to go see a drive-in movie. I've been to one before. I don't um it was sort of south of me, but it, it wasn't like a it was like a one-time thing. Yeah, uh, it's definitely an experience and it's sort of like a time capsule kind of thing, because like the one near me and I had never been um, before the pandemic because I I'm from the Cleveland area, but I never lived like in the city of Cleveland until recently. Mm -hmm. um, and so we have a drive in and I mean, they do like modern movies and what have you, but probably the most like special drive-in experience I had was it was a double feature of Legend of Boggy Creek and Night of the Living Dead. And it just really like took me back to that era, I guess. It was really something special. Um, so I would say if you ever have the opportunity to see like older films at a drive-in, I would definitely jump on that opportunity. Um, I know it's a little further away from you, but I, at some point in the future, if you're ever living close to one, that's definitely something special. Yeah, uh, I'll definitely try that. Another thing that I've noticed with these new theaters now, uh, like I know, uh, what's the, the, is it, what's Cinemark? Is that one of the big theaters? Yeah, that's one uh, of them, yeah. Canes, or, or anyway, they do like, they'll say, hey, we'll have like a special, uh, special event. And like I went and saw uh, 2001 Space Odyssey. That's probably one of my favorite movies of all time in general uh, at one of those. And it's, and they, I think they had the original Star Trek movie, and then they had a 50th anniversary for the Twilight Zone a, little, a while back, um, where basically they showed like five Twilight Zone episodes on the big screen. And it was, I mean, that's a fun experience. Anytime you can see like these movies revitalized on the big screen, and a lot of times during the pandemic that happened is that to get people out there was they showed a lot of these movies or you could rent out theaters and play whatever you wanted. Uh, and that's, that's just so cool to me. Yeah, that's, that's definitely something that's really fun um and yeah you're a big fan of that era what other films are you like into from around that time um you know i talked about you know not living dead dawn of the dead uh and mostly my 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 repertoire is around the television of that time you know uh even outer limits is like a fun sort of scary thing uh, all the alfred hitchcock presents those are all fun all sort of fun little uh forays into it but uh mostly my horror is like this like Halloween's, uh, you know, stuff like that. The seventies movies, Texas Chainsaw Massacre was another big one. 
uh, for me, but it's, and, and those were all like, and even Texas two, which could be better than Texas one. In uh, some regards. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it's, it's more campy uh, sort of got a different feel to it, but that, that's sort of, I grew up on the slashers really. And I, I didn't, until I got introduced to Cinemassacre, I didn't really go back and like re-examine everything. Yeah. Uh, so I had first discovered Cinemassacre when I was in college. Um, and like you, like I had seen all the Halloween's Nightmare on Elm Street's Friday the 13th, what have you. Um, but yeah, like Cinemassacre's Monster Madness every year coming out. Like I think the year I was introduced to it was Camp Cult, which was like mm-hmm. the fourth year they were doing it. And then I would just binge all the other seasons, like um, the sequel-a-thons, all, like as these were coming out. Um, it was definitely a big horror influence on me. It introduced me to a lot of um, different films. So, uh, Yeah. I mean, it, it is one of those things where it's sort of like our generation, or I was introduced to it, but it's sort of like, I think we, we lose touchstones from generation to generation. Uh, we, we have touchstones, and I think Mark Dewoodziak has touched on this multiple times, is that, um, so basically they had like a, a, there was a culture and there was a way you experience stuff. You know, Fang, there was even magazines like, a, I know Fangoria was later, but there were, in the 60s, there were magazines. What was the... Uh, there was like a Famous Monsters of Filmland yeah, was the Monsters big one. Yeah, and everybody sort of had a shared experience, but as time has went on, the internet has sort of, you know, broadened. People don't have the same experience, but that is, you know, it's sort of like a good and a bad thing. Um, yeah, like it's it's sort of like a weird sort of thing that's going on because back then, like as you said, everyone's sort of watching the same stuff. The the world of media wasn't as saturated as it is now. I mean, on television, there were only just the few networks. There weren't every like now we have thousands and thousands of channels we've got all these streaming services but like back then everyone was sort of watching the same kind of stuff and yeah it's like a double-edged sword because i mean there is so much media out there today but i mean you can find horror fans that are like oh i've never seen this i've never seen that and there's just like so many like subgenres now where again it's good for the genre in some aspects but it's bad because again, like you're not getting the shared experience in the community as you would back then. Yeah. And I mean, you've experienced this yourself, like with YouTube, um, back then, you know, back in the day, if you wanted to make a movie or anything, it's like, Hey, got an idea for a movie. And then if a network, I mean, even people who had bad, the room, the room got made, which I mean, it's not, I'm sure there's people who, who love the room, but I love the room, but it's for, for, for very, for, yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. But you know, people could have like the room got made, uh, people could just say, Hey, I need money to make a movie and they could get it made. But, but now people have to, uh, take a, like if you're a YouTuber or something, you want your content out there, you have to take, make a bet against yourself. And then you sort of have to get your name out there and hope people find your videos. Right. And again, that's sort of like a double-edged sword because nowadays filmmaking is easier than it's ever been. Um, I mean, I say this in some of the, cause I do like some high school lectures to like film students and stuff. And I tell them, that film's a lot easier now because everyone carries a camera around in their pocket. But again, it's just like with the oversaturation of everything. I mean, yeah, you can shoot a movie on your phone, but it's just, there's so much content online. It's like, how do you get people to, to see it? I mean, yeah. Um, there's just so much content that you can see and hear. And even, I mean, what was the Quibi? The, the little 
app on your phone that they tried like bite sized clips like hey we're you're in line at the grocery store watching and it didn't yeah very it short lived <laughs> and uh but i mean it, and it was just such a short lived thing that nobody even it's not around anymore so there's so much content and so much to consume that it's like who is consuming the content but i think people like cinemaskers we thought people like yourself bring us together with these shared experiences and they and that's where you know without them i you know you don't get the some people don't ever find this stuff on their own. Uh, it's hard to find stuff naturally, especially, I mean, now it's, it's easier, I think with Netflix and stuff, but still it's not curated. It's like everywhere. You know, it's just like you're, if people get on apps and mindlessly scroll through, if I don't know what I'm looking for, I could scroll through for 30, 45 minutes, just looking for something like, no, no, you know, Right. And part of my biggest thing with like the streaming services is, is like, it's like, all right, I want to try to watch some. It's like, if I see something that's like two hours, right? I'm mm -hmm. like, oh, I don't know. That's a little long. I kind of don't want to watch that. I want something that's like an hour and a half. But then I spend like a half hour, 45 minutes trying to find something I wanted to watch. So it's like, all right, I should have just done the two hour movie from the beginning, you know? <laughs> like, it's yeah. very different. Yeah. Um, how, what are your feelings about the streaming services? um as opposed to physical media because i mean we both worked at media stores so how do you sort of feel about the like do you think physical media is ever really gonna die or do you think I, what are your feelings about that well even now uh i'm also sort of close to like i keep an eye on like uh the market like i look at stuff like ebay and stuff and yeah but that's one of the things vhs is probably ne never they're probably bigger than they've ever been right now uh I keep, keep up with all this stuff and, and people are just buying them and buying them. I don't see that doing anything, but continuing. Yeah. I've got a few VHS. I uh, might, cause I know some of my friends are like hardcore collectors and like, I have a small like horror collection, but yeah, you see tapes. And I mean, they're more expensive now than when they were coming out. And it's, yeah, it's a huge market, the tra tape trading and swapping and all that kind of stuff. Um, and again, like with VHS and like DVD, like there's some stuff that you can't get on a streaming service. So I think, I guess there's always going to be a reason for physical media, but yeah, it's like nowhere near um, what it used to be in terms of the mainstream, I guess. Yeah. And and that's another thing though, is deep is Blu-rays now coming. They all come in the same case. You might get a steel book or something, uh, which I think now when they first started, they didn't do this, but I think now there's more collector's editions and stuff, but man, like even I remember, was it the ultimate edition of Dawn of the Dead? That box right yeah <laughs> that was something else man like you had that or for reservoir dogs which is not horror they came in like a little gas can i'm like that that is so cool stuff like that is just cool to me and it looks cool on the shelf whereas these dvds are all just i mean these blu-rays are all just sort of got the same case and they're sort of plain looking you know right and like they don't um even like with the dvd menus and stuff like Okay, so like, for example, like the, the Kolshak, the Night Stalker DVD, I don't know if you're watching it on the DVD box set that they had, but you pl you plop it in and it's zooming through, it's playing the theme song, it's all this kind of like cool animations and stuff, but like you pop in like a Blu-ray and it's you're already on the menu and like it's maybe just like a still image of the film <laughs> or something like that. Like there's no like real creativity to yeah. it, I guess. Yeah. Um. But yeah. yeah, and you're not really from our generation if you didn't fall asleep. Yeah, you're not from our generation if you didn't fall asleep and leave like the menu on in the background and wake up to that menu playing on repeat like oh, for, yeah. <laughs> for the whole time you were asleep. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely a lost art. Um, and yeah, there's a lot of things. 
because like i i guess you and i are sort of like special in this regard where we're like we like the old school stuff and all that kind of stuff and i mean you mentioned you were and still are like a big fan of dark shadows um i had never heard of dark shadows until like the tim burton film or whatever came out i mean i never saw it but i had never heard of dark shadows before in my life so how did you how'd you sort of get on the dark shadows train um so it was sort of like a going down a rabbit hole of 60s music and stuff and eventually it just sort of got suggested dark shadows on youtube i'm like what and then i clicked on it i didn't know what it was and i started watching these episodes uh and they were like all on youtube i don't know how how you know sometimes you'll find there's a lot of movies on youtube and stuff like uh uh, Blood of Dracula. It was like an Edo Care movie uh, from like the 70s. I don't know if you've ever seen it, uh, but it was made by um, Andy Warhol. It was made by one of his uh, students or one of his uh, associates. And that's how I found that was through, you know, Andy Warhol. I've always been curious. And I think that's one thing Mark talks about is you have to be curious to, uh, and some of the best things I found was when I was curious. Um, but you have to be curious to sort of learn and sort of grow as a person and i was curious clicked on this after i think i was actually looking at the band the zombies i was looking at some of their stuff and i got sort of led down that track from suggested youtube videos which that's you know that sort of is another good thing i guess about the streaming stuff and videos but i found it then and then i watched it and i enjoyed it haven't seen there's like 1200 episodes all right yeah haven't, (laughs) haven't seen them all but then in college i was an english tutor um at, at uh, one of our local uh, community colleges here i was an english tutor there and i we ha- all had this me and the professors had the same office it was sort of shaped like a square and in the middle there was like a classroom and uh there was one individual there one teacher there and me and him i don't know how dark shadows came up but it came up one day and we would just talk about it and that sort of got me more interested and then uh i don't know that was, it was just sort of one of those things where i just you know fell in love with it from seeing the low quality youtube version because i mean there's a lot of campiness to it that's not intended i think a lot of those 60s movies were sort of campy before the the swat like even shows were campy like i saw somebody upset about uh i'm you know i run our kolshak page upset that i talked about star trek and kolshak in the same breath said why do you like that crap you know referring to star trek i'm like you know it's one of those generational defining things and it sort of helped uh, the science fiction wouldn't be where it is without Star Trek, I don't believe. Um, right, yeah, Star Trek inspired everything. I mean, it was before Star Wars. I mean, like, yeah. Star Trek is is huge, yeah. But campiness is just sort of inherent in the 60s stuff, and I think that was, uh, it was sort of a departure from the comic books of the 60s. If you look at the 50s and 60s in comics, like EC Comics especially, uh, the Tales from the Crypt stuff, uh, it, it was it was very dark i don't know if you've ever had a chance to read those but you can pretty much find anything you want on pdf nowadays uh, right I'm not, yeah i'm not i'm not advocating any of that of course but um if you can find the omnibus versions you know you get those definitely but you know it was very dark in the comics and the, in some of the writings and stuff but if you look at the television it was campy and i think it's sort of a um the dichotomy was that television is in the forefront and i think it's sort of the way their culture works is if something's in the forefront, you're going to get the more uh, idealized sort of, you know, downplayed version of it. And, uh, but in England, you know, you had the hammer horror films that were real gritty. Right. And, yeah. But the Americans, it's sort of like, Hey, we're idealized. This is all this stuff, dark shadows, uh, what the Munsters, Adams family, all that stuff, you know, let's just put out this campy stuff. Um, and maybe that's because the, 
I mean, horror was one of the first film genres ever, right? So maybe it's a situation where horror had become so mainstream that it was due for parody, I guess, even in the early, I remember the Mickey Mouse cartoons watching those as a kid too, of the, the three ghosts that call that they're, we need a ghost exterminator out here. And then Mickey and Goofy and all them, you know, go to this mansion and, you know, yeah. and, <laughs> and stuff. Yeah, but like, I guess even because you can trace it back, because I mean, like, there was a Spanish version of Dracula that was like shot at the same time as the current one. Like, they used the same sets, the same everything. And just like the American audiences, like, I don't know, like, there was just such a different like culture because I mean, like, this a lot of people say the Spanish version is better. Um, which I agree in some aspects, but I disagree in probably the biggest aspect um, because it doesn't have Bella Lugosi in it. So I don't think you can really call it better than the English version, but it's definitely, there's a lot more innovation involved in it. And I mean, like, even you go down to the costuming, like the costuming is very more laid back um, because the Spanish audiences were less like uptight at the time. Um, and yeah, it's just a different culture. I mean, as you said, like the Hammer films, you're always getting a lot of like blood and gore, which wasn't in the American stuff at the time. And yeah, like for the for the large majority of stuff, the American stuff was more campy. Um, and I guess like with Dark Shadows specifically, like it's different because like it was a soap opera. Like you said, there's like 12,000 episodes. There's so much stuff. And I mean, people would watch it on their TV once and sort of it would just be on to the next thing. Like they weren't thinking about dvds at the time so like every now and then you'll see a crew member in the background or something will go awry and they're not doing multiple takes of this stuff it's like whatever you get you get basically yeah. i remember an episode where i think a light fixture just falls on the background they turn <laughs> they look and they just keep keep on trucking just sort of business as usual for them uh i would hate to see like stanley kubrick on the set of dark shadows i know that scatman crothers uh after his next movie he did he would he like i think cried he's like you're i'm only doing five takes you know it was something uh insane like that I think. yeah he was very meticulous um stanley Cooper. i think like the shining has like the world record for like most takes of a scene like even to this day so yeah it's definitely a different environment um being on the set of dark shadows and like, I, I think we, we watched, like, some clip where you just see, like, a guy in a Hawaiian shirt walk by in the background. He, like, had to, like, fix something, like, on the set. Um, there's just, like, a lot of, like, funny things that happen in Dark Shadows. Um, but it was very revolutionary for the time. I mean, like, obviously, that's where sort of the timeline, like, split, um, where the vampire is basically, like, I don't have to do this. And you that's where you get, like, your Twilights and interview with a vampire from that sort of thing and of course it of course there were vampires before that that sort of like wanted a cure for their vampirism but they were still uh, mean and nasty um but then you get dark shadows and barnabas collins and that's where you really get the divide where i mean mark talks about this i mean you get the salem's lot and then you get the interview with the vampire in the same year so dark shadows i think is very slept on it's very underrated um in terms of the historical aspects of it yeah i mean it's one of those one of those cult things that i think it's also sort of lost generation to generation you know um and who knows if people and, and for everything that the johnny depp movie did wrong uh i think that it still introduced people to the to it you know what i mean uh people still probably went back and some people you know even went back and found it maybe i don't know i would like to think yeah, have you seen the Johnny Depp film? Because I I did not see it 
but I was working at the theater at the time that it was out. Um, and I remember people were not too happy. <laughs> yeah, well, and see, here's where I guess when I watch movies, I drop my expectations at the door. And like even, you know, for instance, the new Jordan Peele Twilight Zone, there's some episodes that were just bad episodes of any show. But there were some amazing episodes. Like I think there's one called The Blue Scorpion that was amazing. Uh, there was, uh, I mean, it's just really good stuff like that. But, um, you know, with Dark Shadows, it's one of those things where the new movie, I watched it and I enjoyed it and I didn't have a problem with it. You know, I, I thought it was a good movie. It was real campy and funny, but it went, it sought out to be funny. So maybe I guess that's where people were like, this is not naturally campy, so I don't like it. And uh, I don't think Mark likes it, but I, I, I thought it was a fun watch, you know, uh, had Alice Cooper in it. I mean, come on, it's fun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and yeah, so, I mean, obviously we could talk about all this kind of stuff for hours and hours, um, but I sort of want to transition into how you um, got into podcasting. I mean, obviously you have a great horror knowledge on all kinds of things, and you've contributed to some other shows before you were on Kolshak's Loop. Um, so how did you sort of get introduced to the world of podcasting? Um, yeah, so originally, I guess this is probably when I was in college, there was a a trivia contest worldwide trivia contest for the doors, the band. And they tried, they held it to see who was the most knowledgeable doors fan in the world. Uh, they did it all on Twitter. So I, I pretty much, I, I, every day I was answering questions and stuff and pretty much they had a ranking at the end. And eventually they ended up releasing their ranking and I was, you know, in the top three to compete in this worldwide contest. And we competed and I won by a huge margin and they, you know, I was considered the most knowledgeable doors fan in the world, but in order to get ready for it, you know, uh, I bought this microphone and stuff like this, this blue Yeti it's, it's been in, I guess I've used it for years uh, at this point, but I bought it and I thought, you know, as soon as it was done, I was like, man, you know, it'd be really fun to actually, you know, do something, you know, podcast, but I, I sort of didn't do anything with it for a couple of years and I listened to podcasts and eventually there's the stranger things podcast. I really love stranger things. And I started contributing to it. Um, and eventually the host, Daryl Darnell, he, he was like, Hey, do you want to come on? And do you want to do an episode or two about uh, movies? And so I did an episode on Jaws and I think it turned out really well. Uh, and we did an episode on Poltergeist. It went really well. And so he joined me back a few times and I've sort of contributed here and there. And I've, and eventually I was just like, Hey, you know, what if I just started my own podcast instead of being on everybody else's, you know, I thought that'd be a fun thing to get into. And that's sort of where that went. Yeah. What were some of the, the podcasts you would listen to? Um, I know you talk about in your little horror introduction that you would, you know, you listen to some shows about the Mothman and the supernatural and stuff like that. What were some of the shows that sort of inspired you to be like, all right, I think I, I think I can do this or I think I want to be interested in this. Yeah. At first I was like, I've gotten to call, I got in, in college, you know, right in the beginning of college. I was like, I need to listen to podcasts. I can utilize my time more listening to like subjects that I'm uh, that I need to learn about. So I listened to like a civil war podcast. Cause I was taking a lot of civil war history at the time. And I think that civil war podcast is on like part 84 of the Gettysburg. I mean, it's a very thorough podcast. Um, uh, but anyway, and I didn't really, I thought, you know, why would you listen to podcasts on, uh, on movies and stuff? You can't watch those. And then eventually I listened to one just to see what it was about our TV show. And, and, you know, the stranger things podcast is one I got into, uh, there was the entering the fifth dimension that Rob, my co-host Robert does. That's me, how me and him got acquainted with the twilight zone. I listened to it. Uh, they reviewed the new series and I really enjoyed it. 
Uh, but even like Astonishing Legends, that was like my first podcast love, I would say. It was like everything that I'd ever, like it was like a, I got introduced to it through, I was like, oh, this is a history podcast. I think it has Amelia Earhart. So I listened to that. But then they did episodes on like the Kelly Hopkinsville encounter where these little creatures come to these, you know, this little farmhouse in, in Tennessee. And you're like, you know, what, what is this? And I sort of, and even the bet sphere and all this stuff. Uh, and it's like, what is all this weird stuff? And, and the production was, you know, really well done. And I was like, man, if I could do something like this and get involved in this, because uh, the most the most important part of horror, uh, the biggest aspect is that it could be, you know, if you believe in cryptids and stuff, it could be real to some people, you know. And there's like, that's stuff, my stuff like The Exorcist is real, you know. People still, I know people who aren't even big horror people who've seen The Exorcist and they're like, wow, you know, I saw it because, you know, my family was steeped in Christianity and stuff and they wanted to see something uh, that, that could happen, you know. And and besides the whole, I guess, there, there's two different takes. I guess the horror could actually happen, you know, like something like Hostel or something. You know, there's a lot of saws, you know, all the saws, sort of the the gore. Uh, what, what do they call it? The gore porn stuff? Like the torture porn. Torture <laughs> porn, yeah. yeah. There's all that, that that I guess could theoretically happen. Uh, but And then there's like the what, you know, the like you talked about earlier, that George A. Romero did the commentaries or the – even German Expressionism in the 20s, you know, like you're talking about uh, the cabinet of Dr. Calgary, uh, Metropolis. Uh, what was the the other one? Uh, Nosferatu. No, uh, yeah, Nosferatu. No, I was thinking of the Gollum. Was that? Oh, one yeah. Too? Yeah, there was the Gollum trilogy. Yeah. yeah. Only, only one of them still exists. The other two are lost um, to history. Um, I think it's the I think it's only the third film that exists. I think the first two are lost um but yeah oh yeah I, I had no idea see and that was one of those the golem it was something i got introduced to on like a weird cornucopia of like a, it it looked almost like a burnt disc i think or it was like a bootleg disc and it was on there and i was like when it came into the store one day i was like what is the, what is on this like um and that's one of the things like little shop of horrors there's so many versions of the, of the original little shop of horrors like just shopped around on different dvds i mean not a living dead's like that too being a being a uh public yeah all those all those public domain films since anyone can put them out anyone will put them out um and like with little shop of horrors i mean you brought it up i mean jack nicholson is barely in the film but since he's such a big star he's always right on the front of the posters it's usually not even an image of him from the film like they'll put like a picture of jack nicholson from the shining on it and it'll just say like little shop of horrors and stuff like that um but yeah (laughs) <laughs> that's the one i saw him like i think he had like an axe or something he was sort of looking and then the plant was in the background like sort of small in the background you see a little plant in the back and i was like wow this is going to be jack nicholson heavy no no it wasn't um not at all yeah well that's sort of the mixed bag you get into with those public domain films and they're always on like those like 50 movie like budget packs and stuff and i mean night of the living dead is on those as well and nosferatu mm-hmm. and like those are the ones that you always see on there um but yeah, so you have contrib. Well, I guess okay. So you mentioned cryptids. Um, so I gotta, I gotta ask: Are you a believer? Are you a skeptic? Um, is it sort of a thing where like you want to believe, um, but in your heart you don't, you know, it's no. not really a thing. Um, but how do you feel about the the cryptids? I mean, Mothman Prophecies was your first film that you said you watched um what can you tell me about cryptids how's how's your uh how do you feel about those man so i grew up with uh i think the generation before us had like in search of you know um 
But our generation, or my, me in particular, I remember Unsolved Mysteries. I don't remember if you watched that as a kid, man. But Unsolved Mysteries was Unsolved Mysteries was like just this thing that I was like, you know, what is this? Or Beyond Belief Fact or Fiction. They'd always have crazy stories on there. Me and my family would sit around and we'd have like, we'd say, hey, we're going to write down who picks what and we're going to see what happens at the end. And it was like, I remember seeing all those and sort of getting acquainted. But my, and my dad's like a real big, big foot guy. Like to the, and, but my dad's always the type who jokes about stuff. So I'm not sure if he's serious all the time. Like even to this day, I'll say something and somebody will say something. Yeah, they don't find Bigfoot because he buries his dead. They bury their dead. You can't find Bigfoot. And I'm like, okay, okay. You know, I understand. But <laughs> as far as me, man, I don't know. Um, I'm in between. I want to believe maybe. And um, I don't discount anybody's experiences. Uh, but and I've never had an experience like that myself. But um, I don't want to discount it. And there's some people I know who've had experience. So my wife used to work in a, in a mental or not a mental hospital, but she worked at the regular hospital. She had a lot of mental patients come through and she had one that she thinks was borderline, maybe possessed. And she said, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm, that's the last possibility, but I really think this woman was, you know? Um, so there's stuff like that, that people from who I trust and believe, like I wouldn't, don't think that they would, you know, yeah, say I it wouldn't. And that was another thing with the exorcist that scared me. Yeah. yeah. Like, I feel like, with some of the people that have had the sightings and stuff. I mean, yeah, you do have the, some people that are trying to like cash in on it or whatever, but then you have a lot of people who like genuinely think that they saw something or did see something. Um, and I guess that's kind of like the boat I fall into as well. Like similar to you, like I would love to think that there's Bigfoot walking around somewhere, the Mothman, but you know, like I've never had any experiences with it. I've never had any experiences with ghosts or aliens or anything like that. But I sort of like want to believe, I guess. Like I've, I think it'd be cool if there was more to it than just us, you know? Yeah. And, and, you know, even with there's, and people have cat, you talk about cashing in paranormal activities, all those, but even like television shows like ghost hunters, uh, that stuff is fascinating. And all, all this, you know, we talked about prices earlier, this equipment of stuff, like this one particular recorder that got recalled is like so expensive now because people use it for ghost hunting. Um, I think if anything, if I had to rank them, like say, hey, what do you think is the most likely to like least likely? I'd probably say ghosts is probably the most likely. Um, I could see something like that. Uh, but then I would probably say aliens maybe second because, I mean, that would only make sense. And then third, um, I don't know if I'd say – I'd say Bigfoot because, you know, is he interdimensional – and there's even stories like Skinwalker Ranch. They're just insane. Like even the Mothman prophecies, the movie is so tamed compared to like what really happened, uh, like injured cold landing in the middle of a road in a spaceship and come to the sky or these men in black, which, you know, this movie is based on who were like felt look like they were melting and they're trying to hold their form together. Like some of it's some of these people, these eyewitness things are just crazy that happened. Um, and it all was sort of centered upon Point Pleasant and the collapse of the Silver Bridge, you know. Yeah, and I'm I live about well, I guess now I'm about three hours away from Point Pleasant. So I've been to where the bridge used to be. Um, I've been to the Mothman Museum at the Mothman Festival, obviously. It's a really good experience. Um, so the Mothman has always been really close to my heart. I think it's one of the least likely of the supernatural things that could exist. I think that like as you said, like aliens or Bigfoot would be more likely than the Mothman. But I've sort of always been fascinated with the Mothman. And the Mothman is probably my favorite of the cryptids, even though I think it's one of the lesser likely ones. But still, I mean, 
that bridge collapsing i mean it's it's something <laughs> yeah and then what in the there was a bridge in minneapolis that collapsed it was probably when i was in grade school i think uh but that collapsed and people supposedly saw mothman sightings there of course well you know people were probably going to make that up anyway even if it didn't happen you know yeah um, but um yeah so a- as you said uh the coal shacks loop is going on right now at the time of this recording, you guys only have a few episodes out, but by the time people hear this, I'm sure you're going to have many episodes under your belt. Um, where are you? Where are you? Because you're watching the series for the first time. Mm-hmm. Um, your co-host obviously is a big expert on it. Um, so where are you at right now in the series? Um, so I've seen the first two movies in like the first three episodes, um, but I've, I've, I'm sort of put together the show notes. So I put, I do a lot more. um, I've put a lot more, I guess I know the names and stuff, you know, I've written the names and stuff, but I don't know what happens beyond that. Yeah. You've got some good stuff coming ahead. Um, What do you think? Cause obviously your episodes aren't out yet at the time I'm talking to you, but um, so what are you, what are you thinking so far of the show? I mean, it's your first time watching it. Um, what do you think of the first film? I love the first, I love, well, I love the whole series and the films, but what do you think about that first film and how it sets up everything? The first film, like I love the, I'm a huge Twin Peaks fan. Uh, I love the, the tape recorder aspect of it. The, you know, having all these sort of, I guess, uh, dictated, um, you know, messages, you know, these tapes playing and that whole aspect. And he's real, he reminds me a lot of agent Cooper from, uh, from twins you know sort of the 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 way they go about things the quirkiness because Kolshak is a really quirky character and uh i think the the first movie does such a good mix of i mean even the uh the was it barry atwater who played the vampire uh right he does a he does a really good job like he has no lines but but the hissing and stuff is cool like i, I think it's a good take on the vampire i know some people don't like it as much but I think that the, the hissing and stuff is really interesting uh, in the way he portrays it. Like it could, it, he portrays it like a real life. What if a vampire, you know, was here. And I think that, that, that also is owed a lot to Jeff Rice who wrote it. And we're trying to work on a memorial scholarship for him. Uh, that's one of the things we're working on now, you know, is we won't, because I don't feel like he gets the due, uh, the due credit that he needs uh, because he sort of got undercut in the whole deal. Yeah, they sort of tried to swipe him under the rug with the show. And it's very good that he's like, because even um, in the series, he's credited at the beginning of every episode for creating it. So at least that's something. But yeah, he doesn't get the recognition that he deserves um, for creating this show um, and the character writing the two novels. Um, And yeah, he's very, very underrated, I would say. Especially like with the novels, because like, I don't know if you've read the novels yet or if you're going to be covering the novels on the show, but it's sort of like he portrays Kolchak as like a real person and he's like getting Kolchak's notes and like compiling them and like to this novel to create a story. But it's, I mean, he based Kolchak on himself in some regards. And then it's also like he's talking to himself because Kolchak is having him retell his story and all that. It's a very interesting book. Yeah. I was gonna say, even in the back, there's like a compendium. I think he's like, here's notes that uh couldn't make it into the book, but I'm gonna throw them back here, even just because you know, uh, I thought that was cool. Yeah. Um, how do you feel about the second film? Because in the same, in it's basically sort of the same sort of scenario, but there's a lot of differences to it as well. Um, how do you feel about the second film? 
I, I don't think anything could ever I don't think anything could live up to that first film just the 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 way it felt watching it I enjoyed it uh but I don't think it's as good as the second film in my opinion truthfully yeah I feel the same way I, I think it's I think it's good like I think it's close yeah but I, I think that like that first film is the best out of everything and of course you've only seen a few episodes of the series um but you've got some good ones coming up episode four is one of my personal favorites um as well as um there's the spanish moss murders yeah um horror in the heights all of these are like highly regarded episodes um and they've got a lot of like really campy ones as well which i guess you can't say like with modern sensibilities like they're good but they're good campy fun like there's a lot of like um, I don't want to ruin anything about the series for you. Um, obviously, you haven't seen all of it yet, um, but you're in for some good stuff. <laughs> oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, I would say that anybody who is a horror fan uh, can appreciate the series. Like even even with, you know, taking the whole thing, if you just look at it from a from the surface. And this is one thing I was going to talk to you about. Uh, you know, Jimmy Sangster, he wrote some of the episodes. Uh, he wrote the screenplay for. Uh, he wrote the screenplay for, I think it was it Horror in the Heights, but he also, he was one of the big people behind the Hammer films. You know, he wrote uh, Curse of Frankenstein, you know, Jack the Ripper, The Mummy, uh, Dracula, Prince of Darkness, and Horror Frankenstein. He was real big in that. Right, uh, and, and he, that- he, he was like the only horror writer like on the show. Um, I forget who, I can't remember which person it was, but he went on to do good things. Oh, I think it was Robert Zemeckis. He wrote the episode, The Chopper. Um, which is very interesting um, that that's where he mm-hmm. got his start as well in the series. Um, but yeah, as, as you were saying, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, Simon Oakland was in psycho. Uh, he, uh, he plays Vincenzo. He's a big character. Murray Matheson was in, of course, the 83 twilight zone, which I think is a more horror esque take. Uh, Ruth McDevitt was in Hitchcock's the birds. And then this one, I don't think many people who are Kolshek fans would know this unless they were huge horror fans as well. Uh, so I'm going to pitch this name to you and you tell me uh, he, this guy was a, an extra. He played an extra on, on a, one or two of the episodes. Uh, and he also helped with stunts. Uh, Dick Warlock. Does that name ring a bell? Um, I think I've heard of it, but I, it's not ringing any bells where I would have heard of him from. Dick Warlock is the, is the shape in the Michael in the second Halloween, or at least played it for part, part of oh, the, okay. um, the scenes. Uh, and he even, I think he even made a lot of money because he sold all, he kept the mask from that because they had to, of course, they had to remake the mask, I believe. Didn't they try to remake it close to the original? Well, they had. Or did they have the original? They had the original mask, but I think they may have gotten a couple more as well. But the mask looks a lot different because it's a different actor playing Michael. Yeah. So like the, I guess it was um, this gentleman that you're talking about has a much larger face than nick castle did so it sort of fills in the mask more um but i would imagine that they would have multiple masks because i mean you've got like the shooting through the eyes with the yes. blood yeah. um, but i think the majority of it was the original mask but i'm sure they have like different masks to like show like the different wear and tear that he takes throughout the film um because they would they wouldn't have been shooting it yeah. all in order obviously um but yeah which the original movie i think they only use one mask though didn't they or did they uh, I think it was just the one mask. I'm not. Yeah, because yeah. that film, was, I mean, that's the classic story where it's the uh, the Star Trek Captain Kirk mask and they paint it white and everything. Yeah. So that's another aspect um, that people don't talk about with Star Trek's influence, man. I mean, if it wasn't for Star Trek, we wouldn't have gotten the classic Michael Myers look because um, they would have used some sort of other mask, you know? 
Yeah, and, may, and maybe that was sort of working at a video store. Uh, it's one of those information where the my boss, he's a huge Halloween fan. Like, he loved the – I forgot how many times he went and saw the new in theaters when it came out, uh, and I'm super excited for him too. But he would come in and we'd talk about any time a – any time a DVD copy or Blu-ray copy of any Halloween movie came out, we'd have this, we'd have a discussion, like just two hours in the store, you know, just talking about it. And and that was one of the things he was, we talked about, you know, the Dick Warlock and Nick Castle, who played it better and stuff. And uh, uh, even we talked about the Rob Zombie movies, which he, you know, I don't know. I don't know many people who are big on the Rob Zombie, which at the time of this recording, it just came out that Rob Zombie's doing a Munsters movie. Yes. Uh, <laughs> Which so. I have mixed feelings about, but I'm a, I'm a big fan of the monsters. Um, yeah. But I don't uh, yeah. know. Rob Zombie, it's sort of like a mixed bag. Like, I like some of his stuff, but I'm not like the hugest fan of his work. But I guess like out of like modern people to do it. I mean, he's not like a bad choice, I guess. Uh, but we'll see, because I don't know if he's going to do it dark and gritty like all of his other stuff or if it's going to be more because, I mean, the monsters was a family friendly show. So I would imagine yeah. it would sort of be like more geared towards families, young adults, stuff like that. It's not going to be like his other stuff. So yes, I'm interested yeah. to see. I mean, at least yeah. you'd ho- you would hope, you'd hope it wouldn't be like his other stuff. <laughs> yeah. If we saw like a dark and greedy monsters, I don't know. I, I might be here for that. I don't, I really don't know. Yeah. Um. So yeah. So you guys are doing the, the show now. Um. What's sort of your relationship like with your co-host? Like, do you guys like obviously like you do a lot of the research um, and you're in charge of like the social media and stuff like that, you said. Um. So does he just kind of sit back and recount his experiences and you give the background to everything or like what sort of your show's dynamic like? Because at the time of recording this, you guys only have the, the two episodes out. Um, so for people who want to listen to the show, what are they getting themselves into? Like what what's your vibe of your show? Yeah, so um, I'm real big on top 10 lists, top five lists. And I think I've seen some of your podcasts and stuff, and you're, you're pretty good at that, the videos and stuff. I love lists. I don't know. I'm, I'm a list guy. Uh, maybe it goes back to Cinemasker days, but I love lists. And so I'm coming at this with horror practicality. So I'm going to come in and I'm going to say, hey, this, the, the for instance, the first episode, hey, the, the cryptid or the cryptid or monster of the week is a vampire. So here are my top five vampire movies. Um, that I would recommend everybody go see, you know, based behind just the concept of vampire. Um, and we, t- and I talk, dive into the cast and what their horror relations are or what their other relations are, you know, as I mentioned. Uh, and when you look at it, a lot of these, on these cast members, a lot of people were on the twilight zone, you know, of course, uh, there's a lot of people on outer limits, uh, but even a lot of these stunt coordinators are in these, you know, new blockbuster films, these new horror films that you're seeing the stunt coordinators just, have persisted throughout for whatever Dick Warlock, like I said, was the shape in the second movie. Uh, so I'm coming at it more of like, how, how does this, how, why is this important? Not, not as in, I guess, why is it culturally important, but why is it important for people who necessarily don't like the show or have never seen the show? Uh, sort of like, you know, we talked about Star Trek and that's where I come from it. And he's, he's sort of like, you know, Hey, let's talk about, you know, the, the, particulars of the episode let you know i'm going to recount memories we're going to get uh and we and we want fan feedback people who've watched the show we want to go week by week and uh hear what you have to say so if anybody has you know feedback that they want to leave you know they can find us on all socials uh, at kolshak sleep pretty much anywhere twitter instagram uh email is kolshak sleep at gmail so we'd love to hear it yeah and of course i would obviously love to help out in some way possible big big kolshak fan 
Um, so what are so obviously you're going to be going through all the films and all the episodes of the show, um, but it's it is only one season the show. Um, so is this going to be like a limited run podcast kind of thing? Are you going to keep it going? Maybe get some more interviews lined up. Um, of course, Moonstone is still publishing all the comics and novels and all that kind of stuff. So what, what sort of the future of the show look like, um, once you run out of episodes? I want this to be like, we call it Kolshak's loop, which the loop refers to the loop in Chicago, but it also refers to, we talk about closing the loop. We, the loop is sort of like enclosing whatever is in it, you know? So we may talk about, you know, Darren McGavin's other project projects to sort of close the loop. We may, we may do a Christmas special about, you know, a Christmas story. Uh, or we could do talk about, you know, watch Halloween 2 and talk about Halloween 2, uh, which we definitely want you on for something like that. But to bring in like the Dick Warlock connection or watch Psycho for the uh, Simon Oakland connection. We want it to feel like, uh, and even this is nothing I'm talking about, talk about X-Files. There's a whole untapped potential with X-Files, talking about, you know, a little bit about Twin Peaks, maybe. And I want it to just be its own little thing. You know, I want it to be something where we can bring anything Kolchak and talk about it. And I'd love to go over Mark DeWoodsyak's book with Crave Secrets. I'd love to go chapter by chapter and have him on to do that down the road. Um, so really the, the possibilities are endless with the links to it and the links to the show. Uh, possibly, of course, do a Star Trek episode or Twilight Zone episode talking about the actors who have been on each, which I think there are a lot of people on each. So I'm going to have to do a couple episodes on each. But it's really limitless what we could do with the show. But I want it to feel like, because I think a lot of podcasts say, hey, here's your show, here's your movie, you know, limited series. This, you know, that's the only episode you're doing, and that's fine. Uh, but I want this to be more inclusive. I want people to feel like, oh, this is this is pretty much as has everything that you could find in a call check episode or one call check episode. And some people may hate that. I don't know, but that's what we're gonna do. Yeah, and I think I think all of that's really interesting. Um, possibly going back and reviewing all kinds of stuff, just how it relates to the show, covering Jeff Rice's career, um, and all that kind of stuff. I mean, the monsters are due around Maple Street. I mean, it has um both mm-hmm. Barry in it and it has the sheriff from the first film. They're in the same episode, so that's very interesting that yep. they were both also in the Night Stalker. Um I guess, and you've talked about this on your show a little bit um, in your discussion with Mark, um, but I'm curious your opinions on it. How do you think Kolshak should sort of live on? Like, do you want, like, would you like to see like a remake or a retelling or do you think it should stand on its own or like, what are your sort of feelings about it? You know, I think that, I don't know if this would be like the, uh, the people in the community, you know, the overall, the people who watched as a kid growing up or, but if someone coming in from the outside, I would really like a closer adaptation to Jeff Rice's novel because he, the whole seersucker suit and the hat was more of a, um, that was, was more of a Darren McGavin thing, you know, wasn't it? Yeah, that was all Darren. Um, in the book, I mean, Cole Shack, he's wearing the Hawaiian shirts and smokes a cigar and all that kind Hawaiian of stuff. Hawaiian shirt, yeah. Yeah, so... A lot of the sensibilities so I, and the man, style. I would love to see that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then yeah. Mar- and then so, Mark's book kind of combines the two in a way. But yeah, a lot of the mm-hmm. personality traits are from Darren. So yeah, it would be because it's sort of similar to like John Carpenter's The Thing, right? I mean, he loved the original Thing yeah. from Another World, um, from back in the day. So like for his version, he adapted it, but it was much closer to the source material. Yeah, it was very. Uh, of course, Cronenberg. Cronenberg asked there. Uh, 
I mean, I, I love body horror too. That's also a, a, a fun thing. Uh, ret- uh, you know, even Return to Living Dead, talking about offshoots of Night of the Living Dead, that was a fun sh- series. Uh, sorry, I'm getting off on a tangent. But, oh, no, uh, you're good. You're good. But yeah. And and even you going to this, have, do you ever go to conventions or anything? I have never been to a convention, but I would love to at some point. Yeah. So I plan my trip and I don't know if other people do this, but I plan my trip like I, we uh, Atlanta. I'm three hours, three and a half hours away from Atlanta, so I can go relatively easy. Uh, and I go to the the big convention they have uh, that they have there. And if you look at the schedule, they have some pretty good lineups. Like uh, the last time I went, uh, they had. Uh, oh, who was the who was the guy in uh Princess Bride, the uh, the guy, the Zorro-esque character, uh, Carrie Ellis. Uh, I think so. Yeah, something yeah. like that. Yeah, he was there, and they have like, of course, they. I think they had, uh, you know, uh, Freddy Krueger himself, Robert England there. So that was so fun to go. But there's like after hours things. There's little nuggets for people who are horror fans. I think they had like a back to back of like Return of the Living Dead two, uh, which I think is not the best movie. Uh, the, <laughs> the third one is actually surprisingly good i really like the third one the third um, one's a lot different yeah yes uh it might have been but it no it might have been the third one that they had like the return of the living dead three and it was like backed with like uh uh what uh carnival souls or something you know but it's like stuff like that and at these conventions man they're so huge and expansive and there's multiple buildings and like i found myself i'm like i want to get here at this time for this but I'm like, it's not going to work out so I, so I went down and there's like this in the, it was sort of weird, like in the bowels of this place, like go down to the bottom floor. And <laughs> there was the TCM, um, Turner Classic Movies, like horror panel. And I thought, wow, this sounds cool. You know, I'm sure not many people are going to be here. The room was filled. It was a small room too. Room was packed with people. Like they had to bring in chairs to, and sort of set them like, it's probably a fire hazard. They sort of had to set them sort of in the doorway uh, but man, everybody was there and, and it was a real fun. I love the Turner classic movies as a kid too. That was another thing that um, I remember watching was the Turner classics. Yeah. I, I love Turner classic movies. That was like my first introduction to stuff as well. Um, sort of the universal monster films and stuff like that. Um, you'd find on there back in the day. Um, but sort of like, as we wind down here, I mean, again, we could talk for hours and hours about this stuff and I look forward to, talking to you again in the future um, on some various different topics. Um, but once again, will you remind everyone where they can find you online and where they can listen to Shack's loop? Uh, yeah, you can pretty much find us anywhere you find podcasts. Uh, I know we're on at, we're on Apple podcasts, Stitcher, uh, Google pod, Google podcast and all that stuff. Uh, so anywhere to search Shack's loop, we should be right there on the, on the page. You can find us at Shack's loop on Instagram, Twitter, uh, any other social platforms and then you can get in touch with us gmail uh, call sex loop at gmail.com and then we have a phone number if anybody wants to call you can leave like two minute two or three minute uh, voice recordings and if you have more to say you can always just call back and, and leave another one uh, but that number is 662-374-0778 and uh yeah that's pretty much it and how often are episodes going to be coming out is it like a weekly thing bi-weekly or um, so we, st- we started out with the first three, uh, we're working on as many you experienced today, we're having some technical difficulties with some firmware that I'm having to deal with. Uh, so we're going to try to get the next few out as soon as we can. We want to be weekly, but due to limitations, we'll see how that goes. Very, very cool. Well, it was a very 
very fun time having you on the show again. I would love to have you on again at some point, talk about some other things. Um, is there anything else you want to leave the people with, either about Shack or horror or anything you just want to say before we ride off into the sunset here? Uh, was that a Stone Cold reference? Right? Yeah, of course it was. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, man, I don't know. Uh, if I had to leave anybody with anything, I would say not even with Shack, but with anything, man, always be open to new experiences, be open to the films. You know, I'm not even a big fan of like the Saw movies or anything, but I've watched them just to be like, oh, I experienced them. And, and you may find something uh, that, you, that you really love because I think oftentimes we set, we put ourselves in a box and say, this is what we like, and we don't venture out. But I think when you venture out, that's when you find uh, either find out that you really do love what you love or you find something new that you may not have experienced otherwise. Very cool, and I can agree with that. Um, so with that, I just want to say thank you again for coming on the show. Yeah, man, it was thanks for having me, man. It was a real, real pleasure being on. Well, that's about it for this time you guys i hope you enjoyed my interview with bradley from the coal shacks loop make sure you're subscribing to both of our shows on apple Podcasts, spotify wherever you get your podcasts and both of our youtube channels i will see you guys back here next week for another exclusive interview and i'll see you back here tomorrow for another episode of the house of horrors so as always you guys take care and stay spooky